This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, Crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Just wanted to let you know that I have started recording minisodes for the show. And if you're like, hey, Andrew, what's a minisode? Let me tell you. A minisode is a little tiny morsel of awesomeness of Disability After Dark where you, the listener, get to write in anything about disability you want to tell me about, a story, a letter, a thought, uh, a topic idea. Just tell me about your life as a disabled person. Um... Or if you're non-disabled and you have questions about disability you want me to answer, write in and let me know. And then we can really build a community around disability and we'll put them in a little 10-minute minisode that we'll play before the full episodes. It'll come out, they'll come out every Wednesday. So if you want to write a minisode, write me your thoughts, feelings, emotions, ideas about disability. You can write them to our new email address for the podcast. You can write them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and then I will read them back to you. That's the, I'll read them back to you and we'll wildly speculate about them together. So submit your things for a minisode to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability with your host Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza Shining a bright light on sex and disability Content warning The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit Listener discretion advised Hey there, listeners, it's Andrew Gerza, your disabled boyfriend experience, your 
Disabled Heartthrob, your crippled content creator. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Disability After Dark. So this episode is going to be a doozy, but before we get into that, I want to say that I have gotten some pretty cool press this week. I was contacted by Men's Health Magazine about the passing of uh, Stephen Hawking, and they asked me to write a piece about it, so I wrote a piece for them on what I felt about Stephen Hawking and his passing and the way the media has portrayed him as a disabled man and how they've tried to erase his disability from his lived experience and how I had some issues around that. I had some feelings about it that I wanted to write down in an article for them, which was amazing. And then the LA Times got word of that I wrote this piece and they contacted me to talk about that as well. So to see my name in the LA Times, also P.S., they name this podcast in the LA Times, which blew my fucking mind. And I'm excited to see, you know, my, my one of my thoughts has been like, which celebrities are going to read the LA Times and see my name and maybe listen to this podcast? Oh my God, exciting. Um, so that's kind of the wave that I'm riding right now. I want to thank everybody who supported the work that I do as a crippled content creator, as a disability awareness consultant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's all because of you that I'm able to do this and get the reach that I get. So thank you. But this episode, let let me get into this this episode because this episode is equally amazing. I talk a lot about sex on this podcast, and I've delved a little bit into health in this podcast as well, but I wanted to do more to talk about sexual health and disability. So I have been rummaging through social media like I always do, and one day last week, I stumbled on this product called the Kila Cup, which is a product that makes menstruation better for people who experience menstruation, makes menstruation easier for those of us living with disabilities or disabled folk or gimps or crips who experience disability, experience menstruation, and sometimes we have issues with that. As a cisgendered disabled man, I'm not going to speak to that, and I, I didn't want to pretend like I know what I'm talking about, so I contacted the creator of this Kila Cup, and I said, come on the podcast and tell me all the things. I spoke with the creator of the Kila Cup, Jane Hartman Adame, who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area, and she lives with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, the hypermobile type, and she created this cup, and we had a really fun conversation about disability, identity, creating things as a disabled person, um, the experience of having menstruation as a disabled person, which is something that I can't speak to and I'm not really sure how what that feels like but we did talk about the, some of the similarities of being a disabled person and needing specific types of devices for your body and that's kind of where the Kila cup comes in and we had a really fun interesting important conversation which lasted about an hour and 25 minutes and that's what you're going to hear now so I'm excited to bring you my amazingly fun conversation with with Jane Hartman Adame. We went off on a bunch of tangents, and I hope you enjoy this conversation about the Kila Cup right here on Disability After Dark. Hi, Jane. How are you? Hi, Andrew. I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so happy. <laughs> Us getting together for this has been such an interesting experience. <laughs> 
texts and emails. We've had a technical journey. <laughs> phone calls and Skype not working. Um, I used to record another way, but then they wanted me to pay more. And I was like, sorry, nope. So I had to switch back to the good old trusty Skype. But we're doing it. So I'm, I'm so excited. So We're doing it. So I'm really excited to, to have you here because we tweeted each other, actually. And then you were just in the middle of going to, you were going to tweet me and be like, something you were going to tell me how awesome I was or something and then I tweeted you and was like you're awesome let's do something together so that's been my favorite thing about Twitter and the disability community it has been like a big hug and I love it so (laughs) thank you for connecting with me like such a giant hug of like togetherness um yes and I, I love how that's how we connected so I gave the audience an awesome primer on who you are and all the amazing things you're doing for the disability community. Why don't you just introduce, reintroduce yourself, though? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so my name is Jane Hartman Adami, and I am a product creator, um, which is a new, a new title for me. Um, I'm the CEO of a uh, health and wellness company that was recently founded and kickstarted. And our very first product is a menstrual cup that's easier to use. So um, we found some problems with menstrual cups just generally. I was having personal problems with trying to use them. Um, and we uh, redesigned the product to make it easier to use. So um, what's exciting for me about that is um, it comes from a root of disability-driven design by my own experiences, Um, but we've pulled in a lot of... um, We've really listened to the community and pulled in everyone's um, experiences and challenges with the product to make something that's better and easier for everybody. That sounds so necessary and such a rarity in the way we talk about sexual health and and just just health and disability generally um but before we get into the cup because i want to get into like all the nitty-gritty of how that came to be but i want to understand like your experiences with with health and disability first okay um just really big in general, health and disability. <laughs> whichever, whichever one you want to like go to, like explain to me. Let me let me phrase it better because that was a shitty way of phrasing it. Um, how how would you discuss your experience of disability? Hmm. So <clears throat> for me, um, embracing my disability identity has is has been new for me. Um, so even though I have a genetic condition that I've had for my entire life. Um, Growing up, I kind of always knew that I was different, but um, with my experiences through through my healthcare, um, through my doctor's visits, et cetera, um, I just thought I was accident prone, you know, always more injured than everybody else, just had a harder time with things. I thought a lot of my um, chronic pain issues were rooted from my 
uh, my background in gymnastics. I was a competitive gymnast growing up. And I also thought that a lot of my pain was from my uh, hairdressing career. It's pretty typical for hairdressers to have uh, chronic back issues. And so I was just told, um, you know, that these were, you know, normal aches and pains. And, and as I was going through the process of, of working really hard to take care of myself and do all the physical therapy, um, which, you know, I don't mind. I, I come from an athletic background, so I'm, I'm happy to take care of myself and exercise. But when that wasn't working um, and I, I kept hearing my doctors say, well, you're hypermobile, you have hypermobility. And I was doing my own research to try to figure out what I could do um, to manage my pain and make myself um, more functional and be able to do my daily tasks. Um, it was actually through my own discovery that I learned about EDS. And um, when I brought it up to my doctor, he, um, you know, his face went a little pale and, and he said, you know, what, what made you think of this? And I said, well, you guys have been saying hypermobility to me for years and I've been doing the, putting the work in that you said would make me feel better and it's not. So, you know, I think it's time we start looking into some other stuff. And sure enough, we did the clinical test and then he sent me to a geneticist and the geneticist decided that I didn't um, look the part to have any of the uh, other kinds of, um, of EDS. There's uh, over a dozen different types. Um, the type that I have doesn't have a known genetic marker. So the genetic testing just me going in, sharing my family history and experiences, um, and then I received my diagnosis. Um, that was last year when I was 28 years old. And this is something that I've been, um, I mean, I was constantly injured as a, as a young girl, as a gymnast. And every time I would get injured, um, I'd go into the doctor and they'd say, oh, wow, this is so interesting. Well, however you injured this joint, you, you overextended it. it it's, it's, um, it's hypermobile now. So we need to, um, basically reduce the motion for it and then you need to strengthen it back up. So I would end up in these immobilizers. Like every year I was in different immobilizers, but um, they never really connected the dots. And, and I think, um, you know, I think a lot of people are hearing more about EDS now. I think more people are getting diagnosed with it. And I see it talked about, even my own geneticist talked about, it. oh, well, this has become medicalized as if it was some negative thing. Um, and for me, um, I've talked about this elsewhere. Uh, so my family history, the side that I'm, I'm pretty positive my EDS comes from, um, my matrilineage, um, going, going back pretty far. I, there's a history of, uh, mental illness and also suicide in, on that side of the family. Okay. And to me, that points to like, what if, you know, what if instead of considering this to be medicalized, we actually just realize that the medical care system is doing a little bit better job listening to people's pain, especially female bodied people, because I think that hasn't been really talked about um, and really listened to for most of our sort of modern medicine experiences. And so maybe those family members had what I have and were in so much pain, you know, I can only speculate, but don't you think that would be interesting? Like what, how many, you know, how many people have suffered with this condition and just tried their best to go about their day with their bones dislocating? I mean, I was, I was just trying my best to go about my day until I realized 
you know, this isn't working for me and, and I need to stop and figure out better ways to take care of myself. Yeah. And I mean, I've had guests on this podcast with, with various forms of EDS. And there was a lot of terms that, that you use quite knowledgeably that the audience might not understand. Can you, can we just back up and like, can you define for me what is hypermobility? Yeah, so hypermobility is an abnormal range of, of your joints. Um, and so the reason why this exists in EDS patients is because we have defective collagen. And collagen is the stuff that makes up all of your connective tissues. So all of the, um, all of the cartilage between the joints, all of the, the ligaments that hold everything together are, are made up of collagen. And um, ours is basically a bad recipe. And what that means is, like, if you just do the action of extending your elbow, um, someone with EDS, their elbow might keep going past straight. You may have seen someone with freaky bendy elbows like that. Um, and so with EDS, it's not just our elbows, though. It's, it's actually every, everywhere that all of our, our bones come together, that connective tissue is made wrong. So at any time, any of those joints can sort of not work correctly because they're doing, um, they're dealing with sort of unworkable forces Un, you know, un, just the, the loads that our bodies have to bear to hold ourselves up. It's like, we're really badly made suspension bridge. <laughs> so <laughs> our muscles end up having to do a lot of work that our joints are supposed to do for us. So the other side of hypermobility is, is you might not actually be hypermobile at, at a certain point. My hips are very locked now because my body does what's called guarding, which is when my um, hip comes out of the socket so much, your body starts, um, the muscles stay in a continued active state. They go into spasm and then your body creates a bunch of fascia, which is basically, um, it's another form of connective tissue that sort of can be a supplemental support structure. It sort of saran wraps everything together. It's like and the so muscle before the muscle, with, right? The fascia? It's like yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, it's funny stuff. There, it's There's a lot of different, I don't want to speak to it too scientifically because I don't understand it very well. And I think it's just starting to come into medical conversation um, about what it is and what purpose it has and if it should or shouldn't be there. I know there's things like fascia blasters and, and things like that to break that stuff up. Um, but I think the tricky thing with EDS is it's always the balance of how much do I want to be releasing the muscles because I'm kind of dependent upon their activity and their, their activeness to be able to keep me stable. Right. Um, so like my pelvic floor PT and I have long conversations about how, how activated and how released I get to be um, because it's my, my hips and, you know, the hips and pelvis and where the pelvis meets the spine is such, you know, like the keystone of the body. And especially for a female body because that's sort of our um, gravitational center as well. And so it takes a lot of load there. And if your bones can't hold you up, then... You know, thank goodness we've got all those crisscrossy pelvic floor muscles to to do their thing. Totally. Um, that was both illuminating and gave me like five more questions about <laughs> <laughs> about like disability and health. Um, <laughs> I did. I do like that you said fascia blasters because it made me think of like Ghostbusters, like going in there and like. <laughs> 
and fascia <laughs> blasting out the muscle. I'm a dork. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm a huge dork. That's where my brain went when you said fascia blaster. It was like, oh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> so I love it, and I wish it was like a vacuum that could just suck it out. Instead, it's this really painful, knobby stick that you rigorously, viciously slide into your muscle to break all the stuff up. It's, oh, it's pretty no, painful. <laughs> that just, that's, I, no, all right, all right. Sorry, well, I ruined it. We'll ne- go back to the Ghostbusters. Yeah, image. I next think that time, was next time that you're doing it, think about <laughs> think about like fashion, like Ghostbuster fashion blaster, and not so much painful, horrible stick. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so tell me how your experience with um, EDS before you were diagnosed, how has the and even and after and during, how has all of that affected your experience as a female identified person as a woman? Um, well, I think one of the, one of the major places where, um, where it really affects us is in the healthcare setting, just as like, as a woman, I think that, you know, our, our pain often gets um, disregarded. Um, and I think, I think that there's a, there's an odd double-edged sword that lies there actually having to do with um, the way that males identify and engage in hospital settings, which is that it's, it's um, commonly thought that men are less likely to report whatever level of pain they're in. And so what that does is sort of twofold. One, um, when men report any pain, that's taken more seriously. Um, and then on the other side of that, it's thought that, you know, if men are under-reporting, then what does that say about what, how women are behaving and, and reporting and, you know, declaring their experiences? Right. Plus, then you layer on everything else about just how much we do or don't believe women just in, in all facets. Um, and so that's really frustrating. Um, I think, I know, I know this is a sex podcast, so I'll talk about sex a little bit. Um, I think prior to my diagnosis, I think, um, it's very common for conditions like EDS and hypermobility to be fetishized because, um, you know, a woman who's very flexible, how cool is that? Um, but you know, the problem is, is like now that my hips go out of the socket, it takes a lot more um, preparation and pillows and wedges and uh, planning. Um, and so it's definitely one of those things, like, had I known earlier, I, that would have been really nice. Because <laughs> so I think I could have prevented some of the, the long-term damage that I've done to my body if, if I had been aware that, you know, the overstretching I was doing, um, my body wouldn't be able to sort of humpty-dumpty itself back together. Right, and so, if only the medical community had, like, had had taken you seriously way sooner, you probably would have gotten a diagnosis way sooner than last year. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we are seeing people get their diagnosis a bit younger, and you know, EDS is such a range too. So some people are very obviously symptomatic when they're younger, and a lot of times it gets identified by some of the conditions that go along with EDS, like there's gastro issues and there's um, um, some blood pressure issues that can can come about and things like that. So when those things are more easily identified, I think it's it's easier for uh, medical teams to be able to land on the right diagnosis. The silly thing is that those things in themselves are not EDS. So 
um, it would be great if we had better ways to identify EDS on its own. I'm, I'm lucky enough to only have, um, I have IBS, which is very common, but um, me I don't too, though. have POTS. Me too, so I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get and you. It, we, we can bond over that so much. Uh, and that's one of those ones that, you know, just like the sex stuff, I think maybe even more than the sex. Nobody wants to talk about IBS. It's not fun. But I think there need to be more conversations about it because it certainly is sexually impactful and, and, you know, to your daily life. And, you know, it's really frustrating to experience and it's really painful. And I wish that, you know, people would take it a little more seriously. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, 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 as somebody with IBS, I can tell you that it, it affects <gasps> your, oh, puppies, it affects. <laughs> Sorry, they're guarding the house. It's all good. It's awesome. It, you know, IBS affects your day-to-day, and if you're, you know, pooping everywhere, then how are you going to get it on with somebody? Or, like, yeah. it, it affects all the things. Or if you can't poop and you want to, but you can't, it hurts. Like, you're not going to want to be like, yeah, let's do the things now. Like, it's not a sexy, it's not a sexy jam. So I, 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 I totally understand that part of it. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's it's frustrating because you know on one hand we want to we want to be empowered and we want to say you know it's you know we are we're disabled and we're still sexy as fuck and like we're still you know we are doing a lot of stuff but at the same time I mean there are things like that that do limit your experiences like if my if my hip has just gone out really badly and I've gotten it back in the last thing I want to do is have sex. Right. You know, yeah. and, and I think it's really frustrating that it's like it's one thing to be limited, like by society's, you know, ideas that they want to layer onto our experiences. But the, the more frustrating thing for me is how my actual disability limits those things. And that part's really frustrating because there's not really anything I can do to change that. And yeah. I and I, you know, that's just the reality. Yeah, and I mean, I think just just to piggyback off what you're saying, I think too, um, when people say to us, "Oh, you can do anything; it doesn't matter that you're disabled," then it's like, no, actually, my disability will stop me, and I will have days where I'm stopped in my tracks because of disability, or because of IBS, or because of EDS, or because of all the things. It's gonna stop me, and we need to start talking about how it will stop me, and that's okay. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, as being a, a CEO of a health company, I think it's kind of funny because I, you know, I don't consider myself to be a healthy person. I don't see that as a diss to myself. I mean, I think that's just reality. I'm usually injured or sick. Um, but I think that we need to redefine what, what health means and what, you know, self-care looks like and that it's okay to be taking care of yourself and it's and you know i I've, i see this pushback from from our community against the abled's um when we talk about things like meritocracy and the idea of like well everyone if everyone could just be valued by what they can contribute and we're over here like um hello sometimes we can't contribute and that doesn't make us invaluable we have a lot that we can give and we have a lot that we can do to participate but maybe not every day and that should be okay. And I, I really, you know, that's one thing that I'm really excited to be able to represent. Also terrified because I, I sometimes worry that the workload that I'm taking on, um, that I, it's either going to push me to a place where I'm not taking care of my body 
or that I'm going to be I'm going to be underperforming for what I should be doing. And you know, that's that's a lot of stuff that I have to untie for myself. But you know, it, it that's my that's my you know, relationship with my own health and with my identity. So that's going to be stuff that I probably never have super neat and tidy answers for, but I'm always I'm always working to figure it out. No, completely. And I think just to go back on your your discussion about health, I just ate a whole thing of Oreos before I talked to you. So it's not like I was... That's (laughs) self-care. So, but no, I'm just... Yeah, it is totally self-care. But I'm just saying like, I'm not super healthy either. I had pizza for lunch (laughs) and then Oreos for a snack. So, (laughs) So I understand. And also like, but your discussion of like the worry about underperforming because of disability or not performing to ableist standards I totally get that and as my own content creator in like putting out content and doing interviews and writing articles and all that stuff I'm always like am I doing enough am I is, am I gonna what, yeah. what, what, like what if I don't want to today am I gonna like is it is someone gonna steal my spot if I don't do it <laughs> like I have to do it because no one else will so do you mm-hmm. like, do you feel like as the CEO of your own company sometimes like because you are catering to okay let's let's before i get into all of these questions let's break down let's break down the experience that brought you to want to make kila cup ooh okay so very glamorous experience it was me swearing in my bathroom after throwing out my back after my cup was stuck in my body when i was on my period and having a pain flare and i was saying fuck these things. I'm never using these again. I guess I'm going to go back to tampons, which sucks because as a disabled person, you have so many choices revoked from you um, in in so many parts of your life. Constantly, too. It's not like you get your disabled card and they're like, okay, these are the things that get taken away now and just like figure that out and move on with your life. It's like any, any given day, a new thing can be taken away from you. And this was one of those moments where it was happening right around the same time as my diagnosis, and it was happening right around the same time, even before my diagnosis, I had realized that I was losing my previous career as a hairdresser, which I, I loved that job. I, I don't know if I'll ever love a job as much as that one, um, but I can't physically do it. Um, so it was right when I was losing all these things, and my friend's voice popped into my head, and he said, if you ever want to make a little plastic thing, let me know. And he is a, a friend I've known for 10 years, uh, my friend Andy, and he's a medical device designer and inventor, and he makes all kinds of cool things. And I was staring at my stupid little cup, and I was just like, we need to fix this. And I brought the idea to him, and much like I had the conversation with you, um, I, I had to say, you know, I, I know it has to do with periods. If you think that's gross, if you're not interested... I understand, but luckily um, he was super excited about it, um, and we just jumped right in and started tackling, you know, fixing these issues. Um, and I think to speak a little bit more about it, since I know that you've never used a cup, um, I have not. The way that they work, <laughs> the way that they work is they're um, usually made out of silicone, and they're a little sort of foldable, bendable. Um, Thing that you can fold up, put inside, and it, it sort of pops open. Um, and it can be in the body for up to 12 hours, and it collects menstrual fluid. 
And so at the end of 12 hours, you can just take it out, dump it in the toilet, wash it with some soap and water, and then put it back in. So as someone who has, so I not only have a physical disability, I also have a panic disorder and I have, I'm agoraphobic. So for me, when I'm in pain on my period, the last thing I want to do is have to figure out how to go out to the store and buy more stuff. Um, and when you run out of tampons, usually the moment you find out is when you're in the bathroom and you need another one. So to <laughs> me, a cup, it's a horrible situation. Then you got to wad up this toilet paper in your underwear. I know you don't know this experience, so let me just give well, you the I know, full I know, show. I, so you, I know a little <laughs> bit of the experience because I, I use I use catheters, so not the same thing. Oh, yeah. But in terms of like, <laughs> oh, fuck, I got to pee and I don't have a catheter right now. What the? Oh, I, yeah. Like, to, to, oh, that sounds awful. To mirror that experience of like, getting into the bathroom and realizing you need something. So there was one point last year where I just started being catheterized. And to be catheterized means somebody has to shove a thing up my dick. So (laughs) I had just started being catheterized and I had to pee one day really bad. I had had a lot of water. I had probably had too much water for the catheter, which you're not supposed to do. But I was like, fuck you. I'm thirsty. I'm going to drink. So (laughs) I really had to pee. I called my care worker up to my room and she goes, oh, you're out. And I was like, oh, no. what do you mean I'm out? And she goes, oh, there's no more left. And I was like, I have to pee right now. What do I do? And so I called my, I called the people that, the delivery people. And they're like, yeah, we're out too. And I was like, what? <gasps> so, oh, no. Yeah. So I had to go to this. I had to get in a cab. Literally get in a cab. Having go, to pee. Yeah. Go uptown. Go across town. Pick up a hundred of these catheters and run back home. <laughs> so, so I, and these catheters. Okay, that is way worse than running out of tampons. But, <laughs> but it's the same. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. The, that's so frustrating. The, similar, the similarities of like, oh, fuck, I need this now. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and then, yeah, it's just really not fun. And then the whole thing is too, when you're out in public and you've got toilet paper watered up in your underwear and you're bleeding everywhere is like, you don't want to bleed on anything <laughs> or through your pants. And it's just, the whole thing can be mortifying. And then the other thing is for most, um, for tampons, you, you can wear them for up to eight hours, but for cups, you can wear them for 12 hours. So if you think about in one day, a cup you can change twice a day versus the tampon, which is three times a day. And if you're someone who has mobility issues, doesn't that seem much better? So no longer do you have to go to the store all the time. It saves you money over time because you only buy it once and it lasts for several years. And then you only have to change the thing twice a day. The problem is, is that in order to actually use the cup, um, it's sort of a complicated maneuver to get it in. And then it's a very complicated maneuver to get it out because it actually forms a seal inside the body. And so to release that seal, you have to reach inside kind of far, pinch in the wall of the cup, and then pull it out. Um, And even for able-bodied people, that can be a complicated maneuver. If you're hypermobile, like me, and if your pelvis is in spasm, as mine often is, especially when I'm bleeding, um, the idea of reaching and relaxing some muscles and activating others and, you know, and then you're not really paying attention because you're focused on getting this device out. Um, I've hurt myself so many times trying to use it. I can only um, imagine. And that. I know that for <laughs> so frustrating. It's so frustrating because again, it's like comes down to like loss of choice. Like it's one, it's one of the most humiliating moments to be fiddling with your genitals 
and like not be able to do something that seems really ordinary. And you're not even fiddling um, with your genitals in a way that you might want to. You're not like, even you're for like, the fun way. You're like, yeah, you're like, <laughs> I just want to get this fucking cup out of my genitals. Fucking thing out. Can we just? <laughs> yeah. And I had so I one of my best friends um, was was not hasn't been a cup user, but she decided to try one, and she couldn't wait for mine to come out. So she got another one, and she tried it. I had a three-hour-long epic text saga. And this is a very able-bodied woman. She does yoga every day. She's very fit. And she's also, she's also queer. She knows her vagina very well. And she was texting me like, oh, my fucking God. I see why you made it. You made it. It's stuck. It's stuck in there. And um, so for, for hours, I'm texting her. And I'm like, okay, well, worst-case scenario, I've got gloves. I'll come over. I'll take it out. Which people have gone to the doctor, people have gone to the ER, people have had partners remove them for, which is like, again, it's like, you want your partner down there lots of times, not this time. This is not a moment you usually want to share with somebody. So, you know, it's, it's like, and I, it usually for most people, for, for most able-bodied people, they're able to sort of overcome this learning curve and, and learn how to activate their muscles to push it out and, you know, figure out how to make it work. Um, but that's just not the case for, for all people. Um, so I've seen, you know, stories of people with bigger bodies that say, you know, it's just never accessible for me to do that. I can't reach to the point that they want me to reach. Um, and I've seen, you know, and then the other piece is uh, for removal. One of the tips that they tell you is that you're supposed to bear down, which is the same pushing action for like pooping or giving birth. Um, surprisingly, they're similar actions. Um, that's why you hear problem, when a lot of women like shit on the table when they have their kid because yep, yep. mm-hmm, all the muscles are just you're pushing down and so adding that force from from above the pelvic floor and pushing downward like that's what that's what that stuff's designed to do is get stuff out of your body so it makes sense that people would use it when removing a cup but um the problem I mean, is not that the, not the same thing I'm just thinking not the same thing but with IBS Sometimes when you laugh too hard, you can shit yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so here's the thing, too, is like when you have a connective tissue disorder, you're really never supposed to do this bearing down action. So like they teach us that we, anytime we're learning to activate and relax those muscles, we're never supposed to be doing this pushing. So we're not supposed to push when we pee or poop, and we're not supposed to push um, our, our pelvic floor muscles for, for any reason, um, because it can, it can overstretch, um, the connective tissue and weak in the muscles of the pelvic floor. And you really don't want that to happen. That can lead to prolapse and such. So that's something that's, that's not just for people with connective tissue disorders, but for a lot of people, you know, pelvic floor physical therapists will say, this isn't, this isn't really a good action to be practicing. So, I think it's kind of interesting that while, you know, common medical literature says don't do this, menstrual cups say do this. This is how you take it out. Um, And that to me kind of points to this bigger thing, which is like female bodied people have always been told that we just have to accept the limitations of the products that we get. Bras kind of suck. Before we thought we just had tampons and pads. Turns out we have a lot more options than that. Um, and menstrual cups are great, but they're only great up until this point, or they're only for able-bodied people, or, you know, you have to do this potentially long-term negative action in order to use it. Um, so 
untangling that for myself and being able to develop something that sidesteps all of that and says, no, we deserve to have something that more people can use that doesn't require you um, recreating any harm, potentially harmful actions in your body. And, you know, more people de deserve to have the, the option to choose this. So that's really where Kila Cup came from. Sorry, that was a really long explanation of menstrual cups and how they work, but it was hopefully the best. that gives you an it idea. Was, <laughs> it was so perfect because, I, again, as a male-identified person with different hardware and different genitalia, I don't want to speak on that and pretend like I'm some sort of authority. So this is your this is your ball game. I'm gonna just hang out and let you just <laughs> tell me all the things. I'm not saying I'm gonna just be like, mm -hmm, yep, that's okay. That's yep, that's right. Because I don't smile and nod. <laughs> yeah, because I don't want to pretend to know. And I the reason why I asked you on here is because my base of knowledge comes from a very different center of privilege than yours and I don't think it's fair for me to because I, I remember hearing about your cup before I knew before we had spoken and I was like oh that'd be really cool and my first thought was I have to have her on because I can't speak about this without the person so here we are and I'm so excited that you have been so and I think it's important too for the non-disabled audience who's hearing this who might think oh well you know sexual health things and like body health things are easy enough, everybody figures it out, they can now hear that actually, no, things are really not accessible, here's why. Well, yeah, that was one of the first um, kind of pieces of negative feedback that I received when we put everything out there. We made our first Facebook video, and of course, I was nervous the whole time, like, oh my gosh, someone's going to notice that my fake eyelashes are falling off in the video, someone's going to call me ugly. Like, I had these ideas that people were going to receive it in this other way, and then I also had in mind, oh, and also people are going to criticize the product, of course, um, and while I'm glad to say nobody criticized my appearance that I saw, um, I, I did get some pushback on the product, and one of the things that stuck out to me was somebody said... I think this is solving for a problem that doesn't exist. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say that a thousand pre-orders later, um, you know, raising over $55,000, that it's, it's a very real problem that does exist. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to get to sort of um, kind of state that proudly. Um, of course. And, and say that, you know... Because it is one of those moments where, especially when it has to do with your sexual health, whether you're able-bodied or not, this concept that like that you can't do something or you can't access something, it's really easy to just be like discouraged or embarrassed, um, you know. And now it's gone to the point where I like wrote to Teen Vogue and a zillion people read about my menstrual health. <laughs> like, I kind of had a step back moment later where I was like, my 12-year-old self would be so cringing right now. Can we but, you know, I think it's really about, important. Yeah, no, of course. And I totally agree with you. But let's just talk about, for, for one second, Teen Vogue is killing it right now in terms oh, of, of like, proper disability representation. They are killing it and i am proud to say that when i read their stuff about disability i am starting to meet and know all of the disabled people, people that write for them and i'm like this is awesome so teen vogue hey i'm here if you want me to write for you like, yes like sign yes. me up please please but it's fair. i will yeah I'll put you in contact with my Teen Vogue contact. So basically how I got Teen Vogue was kind of interesting. 
Um, I didn't have a Twitter before. I signed up for Twitter so that I could DM a contributor that I really liked what she was doing, and I thought she might be interested in the key story. And this is early on. This was when our Kickstarter was like crickets, and it was during the holidays, which was a horrible time to do that. But I ended up just messaging her, and she was like, this is great. Would you be interested in writing about uh, disabilities and menstruation. And so, of course, they said yes. So literally, that's the first thing I've ever written for any publication, and I got Teen Vogue. I feel like I shot it was, like, can I, can, I'm not worthy. <laughs> I am not worthy. Like, can I, can, can we, like, can I bow to you? Because that's, I mean, I mean. Okay, mister just wrote for Men's Health yesterday <laughs> on a very important, beautiful strong topic like i i think it's i think we're finally getting to a place where uh people are interested in including our voices so so i think the props go both ways like i i think it's it's our time i really do i i mean i just think like i think you know you're one of the only people with disabilities really really talking about this publicly and i think like that's why when i first saw because i talk about sexual health a little bit but not as much as i would like to and as soon as i saw what you were doing, I was like, I need to, I need to talk to her right away, like immediately. Like, I that's why I tweeted you, and I was like, you're the greatest. Can we talk about five more <laughs> things? And so, like, I, but I think you know, for Teen Vogue to take on topics like this and take on disabled voices, like, hey, Teen Vogue, not that you're listening to this podcast, but it was just mentioned in the LA Times today. So if you wanna like come on and talk to me about how you're awesome. <laughs> I'm here. Anyway, I went off yes. like seven tangents right there. And anybody who's listening is like, I'm turning off your podcast, Andrew. This is super weird now. But uh, <laughs> but I think it's great. But tell me more about tell me more about the Kilikop. Tell me all the things. So I guess what I haven't really talked about why other cups are not so great. Um, and and that's to be fair, they're also great. I think I did talk about that as well. But um, what we did was we made a pretty serious change to the design of the cup itself. We added, um, typically a menstrual cup has a, a little stem at the bottom that's usually really stiff and it doesn't, you can't take the cup out from it because you have to reach in and actually squish the cup to break the seal. So the stem is just sort of there to like help you find it, I guess. Um, and a lot of people cut their stems off. Uh, the difference with our cup is our stem actually starts from the inside of the top rim of the cup and it goes down through the middle and it's it's all made out of one piece. So the cup and the stem are, are all molded out of one thing. And that stem that goes through the middle, when you pull on it, it bends in the, the top wall of the cup. So that breaks that seal. So what that means is that now you don't have to reach all the way inside of your body in order to remove the cup. You just grab this the string and pull on it like a tampon, and it comes out just as easily. I had a so, question um, about the the grabbing in. I'm just to go back to your bathroom yeah. kind, of, kind of vignette that I have in my head. So there's you in the bathroom, swearing <laughs> at your genitals because you can't get this thing out of you. Which I've been there. It sucks. Um, I've been there in a different way, obviously, but I've been in very similar situations. Yeah, it's horrible. But my question is, because you have hypermobility, <laughs> like what I'm picturing is poor Jane sitting in the bathroom, like with her hand stuck up her genitals and unable to remove her hand. Like, is, is that what happened? Am, am I wrong? In, in 
Well, so it won't necessarily be that, like, my hand, my whole hand gets stuck up there. But, like, what happens with me with a lot of actions is, like, I'll think I'm, I'll think I'm nailing it. And then my shoulder pops. And then all of a sudden, it's like being a zombie. And then you have to stick your body parts back on later. So it's like I've had my shoulder. I've had my fingers get messed up. Um... And I like like dislocated very temporarily, like it pops and it goes back in. But then it's you're in pain for a long time after that happens. So I've had my hips. I've had my my back. I've just like thrown my back out. I think the time that I was over it, all I did was I I just um, I threw out my lower back. Usually it's my um, SI just slides all kinds of different directions so that the sacroiliac joint is where your pelvis and your spine meet, and it's supposed to not move. And so mine is hypermobile, <laughs> which oh. I was like, I'm trying to ask my doctor friend, like, wait, I thought this, everything I've researched, this doesn't move. And she was just like, yeah, well, yours does. <laughs> so mine slides side to side, and it slips upward, which is really painful. Um, and so I have to reset it all the time. But I, that's what happened in this case. And it's so painful because it shoots pain down your legs. And it's just it's just this all-encompassing, burning, awful sensation. Um, that doesn't, that one doesn't, uh, like if it's my shoulder, sometimes it'll go out and it'll go right back in. And it'll be a little achy for a little while. But this is really like when the, when the SI goes out and it goes into spasm because what happens it'll it'll get locked like to one side or it'll get locked upward and so your body just can't figure out what to do with that um so it's as comical as it would be if like my hand got all the way stuck up there and then like my wrist separated that has not happened to me although I have had lots of EDSers tweet me and tell me all of their dislocation stories with trying to remove cups and Oh man, it could you could make a horror film out of it. Yeah, because I mean <laughs> that's really what I'm, that's what I was picturing. I was picturing poor you in the bathroom, like, help my hands, <laughs> like, like, and it's not funny, but it is kind of funny because we're disabled and these things ha- we have to laugh at this, otherwise we'll cry. Like, I'm picturing poor you, like, in the ba- in a public bathroom by yourself, unable to move with your hand up there. Like, oh gosh, wouldn't that be the worst? Like, I just want my men's throw cup out. Somebody, like, please. So I, I think you do have to laugh at it all the time. So a, a few weeks ago, I woke up and my entire left leg, my femur, had dislocated and rotated inward. So I could, when I would try to walk, I could only walk like a, like a, an extra from Thriller. Like, my leg was completely turned inward. And, of course, it hurt like hell, but I was cracking up because it's like, this is not a problem that most people ever have. And here I am with this sideways leg. (laughs) But, like, you know, those are things. Who could use a cup in that state? My leg was turned the wrong way, you know? And it's like, luckily, I wasn't on my period then. So, ugh. The, yeah, the, it's you have to laugh though. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, but I, but I just think this initiative you've taken to like, did so, so you created it based on your own experience. Do you feel like it's a product geared specifically to the disabled community, and is that how you would kind of market it? You know, I, I specifically don't market it that way because 
uh, and uh, actually, like I talk about it in everywhere that I, everywhere that I speak, I make sure to mention EDS and you know give sort of a, a voice to that. Um, but you know, I think that it's really important. It's a really great place for people um, who don't have a disability to start to understand this sort of cross-link between ability tools and how they serve um, more than just the disability community. And so that's really what I like to represent is that it's disability-driven design, but it actually benefits everybody. And what I mean by that is, so uh, kind of going back to when we first started developing the product, um, I, before we had a website or any videos or we even had a name, um, we filed our, our provisional patent. And I was so excited to do this because it was my first patent. It was my, my co-founder's eighth, just to put that in perspective. He's, he's done this a few times. Um, and so I just made a personal post on my Facebook page and just out of left field, was like, I, I created this thing. I'm really excited about it. Um, if anyone is interested, all I mentioned was, hey, we, we sort of hacked insertion and removal for menstrual cups. Um, if anyone would be interested in being uh, a tester, um, please, please have them reach, please reach out or have your friends reach out to me and I'll, you know, add you to this list. And just from my personal Facebook post, I'm not a, I'm not a terribly popular person, so it's not like this, you know, blew up just because that's how I am. It, it's really not like that. And what happened was it got shared in so many groups and so many different communities that I had 50 people signed up to test the thing in less than a week. Wow. And they were from all over the place. And this is to put something in your vagina that you've never seen before <laughs> and have only a vague idea of what it, what it is. And that was, I thought I'd maybe get 12. You know, I thought maybe there'd be 12 brave people who'd be interested. But what really pointed to was like, wow, there's actually a really, this is a need. This is something that people want to see fixed and want to see work better. And, you know, it does, that's always true of the disability community. I think we're constantly butting up against things that don't work well enough for us. And I think um, for female-bodied people, that's also true. And so overlapping those two things has been really important. Um, and it's shown, it's kind of revealed itself to be even more important than, you know, than, than I thought from the beginning. So um, what I was talking about with, uh, I was mentioning when we were on, chatting earlier um that i did uh i did we sit had, down with alice we had <laughs> p.s we had the most amazing 35 minute chat before the audience is hearing this part we jane just phoned me out of the blue from like an oakland number and i was like what i was like who is this and then i was like she's awesome she just up and was like hey want to call say hi had the most fun conversation <laughs> so this is, a, is our pretend professional like C continuation of that because the best I think that's why I've been so relaxed and swearing so much on your podcast sorry I'm just so comfortable with you you can swear more you can even throw <laughs> I gotta put my CEO hat on <laughs> <laughs> well I think swearing really especially when you're talking about um, disability and access I think swearing is absolutely the appropriate language to use sometimes it's just some stuff is fucked up 
And that's what we're trying to fix. We were joking when we were talking about, you know, creating more accessible products for female bodied people about just calling the company. What the fuck? <laughs> oh, are you gonna... There's so many things that need to be fixed. And you look at them and you're just like, what the fuck? Why is that the thing we use? <laughs> you, can also have an you can also have an offshoot of it called what the cup. <gasps> what the cup? What the cup? <laughs> I love that. So yeah, um, I'm totally derailed from whatever we were talking I about. I don't before. even remember anymore. Let me bring us back to maybe a, a, a salient talking point. This is what you get, listeners, when when Andrew interviews somebody who really also likes to talk about things. You get and you, mm -hmm. you get a podcast that isn't really that that brought together. So. Um, I do have a question though, but with your experience now building this Kila Cup, do you see other areas where sexual health products or sex and disability could use a product that we need? Like, are there other areas where, like, this is a thing we need to do? So many. And what's been so amazing is that, um, you know, I really view our social media, I, I, I don't really view our social media as this, like, sort of megaphone for us. For me, it's just like a bunch of listening channels. So we can put something out and then we're just listening to the responses. And that to me has been guiding a lot of what we're doing. And that's very much why um, we're guided to, why we, we have this mission early on, even before we've gotten our first product out the door that we wanna do more of this. And that's because we've had so many people from so many different backgrounds contact us and say, you know, I have this anatomical difference, you know, X, Y, and Z is really challenging for me. And for people to be so candid about that, I mean, I've had people just, just uh, not even private message, but just Facebook post and say, this is an issue that I have. And I, I realize it's sort of a private matter, but I bet other people have this too. Um, is this something you'll address? And I love that. I love that we're getting more candid about our sexual health because that's really what it's going to take for there to be, you know, some major, some major changes is we need to, be able to have conversations um, within and outside of our communities so that we can really start addressing these needs. Because, you know, I, I think that's a lot of what, you know, um, has brought about these uh, n not new options, but um, kind of less available options um, has been has been just straight conversation. And that was when we got those signups for testers, I mean, I knew that had made the rounds outside of my immediate bubble when we had someone um, who messaged me and said, hey, I found out about your product from a group that I'm in called Feminist Mormon Housewives. And I wow. was like, that alone blows my mind because I have never heard of such a group and that's amazing, but also like definitely not my bubble. And so to see that it had jumped out of, you know, my community, which I, I mean, I, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a place that's really pretty sexually open. And um, you know, I face a lot, a lot less um, discrimination as a woman and as a disabled woman here than I would in a lot of places. In like um, rural America here, or something. Yeah, and what we do, we get, we have a lot of interest from from a lot of states that I didn't think we'd be seeing so much action from, and a lot of overseas interest and. That's so cool. I'm so excited. I had no idea going into this that, you know, 
that it would be a part of these, you know, there's a lot of communities that, you know, um, for example, only believe in natural birth control, who also really think cups are really great, because that sort of fits into their whole natural vaginal health care um, sort of ecosystem that they build for themselves. And so, you know, that may not be my community directly, but it's it's a community that I can help provide an option for. Um, so, I, you know, that's just, that's fascinating stuff to me. I think there's so many, so many different ways to make a PB&J sandwich. And, you know, there's so many different ways to address sexual health. And the fact that people are becoming aware of more options is, I, it's just, to me, is pointing in some really great directions, you know. Totally. I also never thought I would connect sexual health and PB&J sandwiches, but now... <laughs> Thanks to this awesome conversation, I can't help but connect PB&J to sexual health. <laughs> um, well, and I think there are some pretty sexy ways to make a PB&J, too. Like, if you really, if you really start thinking about it, there's a, there's a lot of room there. I mean, peanut butter can stick to a lot of places. <laughs> um, so... Is there anything else you want me? Do you want the audience to know about sexual health? Because we've we're coming up on an hour of awesome conversation. Is there anything else you, as a disabled woman, want to talk about sexual health about or your experience at all? Um, there's a couple things. So, um, my first major thing that I my biggest and most exciting takeaway of well, I don't know. That's maybe a bold statement. But one of my favorite takeaways from participating in this project. You can do boldness here. It's all right. Well, I just, one thing that's just been so exciting to me is that having these conversations very publicly for myself has really kind of broken down some walls personally that I've had around talking about sexual health um, with my small world. So I. Um, grew up mostly living with my dad, and I have two brothers. And so, um, although and my whole family is very open and um, never been particularly shy about talking about things, um, but it's been really exciting to me to know that my family is supportive of me having these greater conversations. And I bet that that would be that would happen for more people if they started attempting to have these conversations. And that can be about menstrual health, that can just be about sexual health. Um, the moment I realized I could have candid conversations with my dad about that kind of stuff, um, which was really a slow progression from when I was a teenager on. I mean, he knew he had a teenage daughter. Um, and I, I was lucky to grow up in a household where um, my dad would frequently say, because he didn't, he didn't believe in censorship. He didn't believe that there were some movies we should or shouldn't see. And his comeback when people would be critical of that was he would say, when I grow up, I expect my children to grow up and have sex. I don't expect them to grow up and be violent. And I think that really points to, you know, sex is such a funny taboo for us to have in our society because we do for the most part, most of us have sex at some point, and it's pretty normal. So, you know, why why is there this, you know, 
veil around it that we shouldn't talk about it. And, you know, the, the layers of fabric on top of that, if you're a disabled person, how dare you have a sex life? Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And how dare, like, and with your, with Keela Cup, just going back to that, how dare you take the initiative to, like, care, when you said that person messaged you and was like, well, this is a non-starter problem. And what they were really saying to you was, how dare you take the initiative to, like, look after your own health as a disabled woman? Like, how dare you? Yeah, and for the most part, I really have received, um, you know, maybe it's my optimism sort of shedding those things off, but um, I don't think so because I have really bad anxiety and I would definitely remember. Me too, but though. Me too. I, you, <laughs> when you get that criticism and it just, you know, it sticks 10 times harder than anything positive. But, you know, I I was really, I was much more worried about receiving criticism um within the disability community and, you know, am I disabled enough? Am I the right kind of disabled? Am I speaking about this the way that people like? Um, and like I mentioned at the beginning, like it's been one big hug. It's been, it, I, you know, I didn't envision myself adopting this identity. Um, of course it just sort of happens, but it, but it's your choice whether or not to embrace it. There's a lot of EDSers who say, well, I will tell people that I have a disability, but I don't consider myself disabled. Um, and you know, as self-identifiers, you get to choose whatever language you want around yourself. But I do wish that maybe more people would be open to embracing their disability identity because, um, I've found nothing but just like love and support. And even when I do get call outs on stuff, and I do, like when I wrote my Teen Vogue piece, I, I wrote it really from from a personal space of, of my identity as a woman. And a lot of people were upset with this cisnormative language that I used. And I have a lot of trans and non-binary friends and I even checked in with them before and I said, you know, this is my personal piece, is this okay? And um, one, of my, one of my friends actually wrote a really great follow-up piece about how he thought the Kila cup would be really great um, for trans men who bleed because um, it can reduce sort of those dysphoric sensations of having to reach in and really engage with your body. If and you want to me, bring like him on the podcast and talk, if you want to bring him on and we can all have a, oh, if I you want to do that. a follow-up, because I was going to ask you, I was going to be like, because so, we were talking about it and a few times throughout, you you know, we've talked a lot about the female body and I was going to be like, so my next question is, <laughs> what about, you know, non-binary and trans? So the fact that you, the fact that yes. you did the legwork as a cisgender person with the privilege that that comes along with that, and believe me, I know it. Um, but to know that you were like, I want to make sure that I'm doing my best to include this community and, and asking around and asking for guidance, I think that's really important. And I think that just the disabled community can, like somebody with a disability who is taking the initiative to make sure that not just disabled female-bodied people are represented to make sure that everybody is represented in this fight for access to, to sexual health is so awesome. Well, and that's the thing, right, is because it would be, it would be careless of us to declare that we're inclusive if we continue to be not inclusive in our language and framing of what we're in messaging. And so even when I say female bodied, that's been, that is my, my best work that I can do so far to 
point to that, you know, it's not just women, um, but it really is people with female body parts who um, face a lot of these issues and the issues that we want to solve for in particular. So reworking things that have to do with the female reproductive health system, with birth, with breast pumps, with these sort of things. And I understand that, you know, not all these people identify as female or identify as, you know, whatever their identities may be, but I'm talking about, you know, the body parts. We want to, we want to make things work better for your body parts. And so we're already working on, we, our cup originally was sort of this salmon-y orange color, but it was coming across to a lot of people as pink, um, which we deliberately were staying away from. So we're reworking our choices too, to make sure that we're being as inclusive as possible and not being triggering and not being upsetting to people. Even if we go, well, that color was really pretty and it wasn't pink, um, which I've definitely said, <laughs> but the, it's not about what I like. You know, it's the, ultimately it's about what works for the most people and makes the most people comfortable because comfort is what we're going for. Comfort was and the so, whole point of the thing, really. I mean, it's the whole point of it. Yeah. And and I'm never going to get it totally right, especially for for speaking for or about the disability community, for speaking for or about um, the trans and non-binary community. But you know, I can always learn and I can always do better. Yeah. And that's something that I'm I'm constantly working on. So, um, I'm. Yeah, that being said, if, if anyone wants to call me out on Twitter based on this podcast and tell me anything that they think I could do better, I mean, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to receive um, and learn and be able to um, be a conduit for supporting others um, through creation of this product and hopefully future products. But it is really hard when you're talking about, um, you know, this space has been defined um, as women's health. That's basically the category um, that it gets put into. And the other, the other term that's used is menstrual hygiene. And there's so many problematic pieces with these languages. Like, sure, it's women's health, but it's bigger than that, right? It's not just for women. And is it really about health? Um, sometimes people aren't healthy and they're still using these products. Is it really about hygiene or periods dirty? You know, so I really wanted to start talking about it more um, as a, as a self care um, tool device yeah. tool. And, and, you know, going beyond that too, it's like, well, we are a medical device. So we I don't want to demedicalize it because we're doing a lot of work. Um, to make sure that we're making the safe, medically safest product that we can. Um, so I don't want to take that away from it. But I do want to point to, you know, that it's been such a big shift for me to think, you know, more about, I do a lot better with managing my EDS on a really like monster pain day. If I just go, you know what, all I, all I, my only job today is to be cozy and take care of myself. So I put on my cozy slippers and my cozy robe and my heat pads and I, I make a pillow fort. And if I can think about it positively that I'm taking care of myself, I feel so much better about it. And so that's really kind of what I think, um, you know, people, it, disabled people deserve to uh, take ownership of that process and and say like it's okay if this is the only thing I do today. 
Yeah, and totally. it's scary. It's scary and hard. I have days like that all the time. I have yesterday I was set up like that and I was working on my laptop and that's okay too. You know, I think it's just a matter of checking in with yourself and, and knowing, you know, what are your reasons for doing what you're doing and are they, are you really sincerely taking care of yourself? And if we can put more tools out for people to make that a little bit easier, you know, and maybe we'll go beyond just, you know, products for female body parts. Maybe we'll start making better stuff for, for EDSers to hold parts in and, you know, make better body braces. And that could be for everybody. I mean, but I was I also thinking that. of it just, just in hearing you talk, Jane, and listening to that, that's why I was really quiet there for like five minutes because I was like, wow, she has all the things to say and I, I'm not saying words. Um, so, but hearing you, you know, I was listening to that thinking, you know, she should totally do sex toys. You should, like... Oh, we we really want to. We've talked... That's actually... When I talked to Andy about the cup initially, he was working on a sex toy. And he was like, I already know all the materials and the coating, <laughs> so I think we will. Um, and one of the other products we were talking about... Sorry to just jump in and cut you off. Um, one of the other products we were talking about is my, my pelvic floor PT, who I love, Rachel. Shout out, Rachel. Thank you. I love you. Um, she has this tool, it's acrylic, and she uses it to, um, to reach inside and activate the different muscles or, or to basically palpate and let you know if you're activating or releasing so it's rather like than a manual, using her hand. It's like a manual Kegel machine? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, like a funny little joystick thing with sort of a curve to it. And she said it was repurposed from something else. And she said, you know, I really want one of these in like a in like a silicone. And she said, they don't make them. And I'm like, let's make them. So, you know, there's all kinds of things that we want to make better. And, and, and yeah, I think sex toys are on the list. I think sex toys have to do with, with self-care. And I think that's really the umbrella that we want to live under as a company. Um, but you know, it's this living, breathing, moving thing. And, and on top of that, if we think about it like that, it's an infant, right? Like my product, we're just rolling into manufacturing right now and we're planning to ship in May. So, um, it's, it's really, maybe it's not even an infant yet. Maybe it's in utero. (laughs) So there's so much that can happen and, and I'm really excited to see where things go. And I'm, I'm really, um, you know, I'm interested in being being flexible about it. No hypermobile EDS pun intended, but like oh, it's to there. let it was there. As soon as I heard you say flexible, <laughs> I was like, oh my god! I can't say the word without thinking of it. But so you know, but I really want to. We we do we do want to be a listening company. So that being said, if any of your listeners have you know tools or things that they want to have made better, that's one thing I totally jumped on a tangent from. I was going to, when we were talking earlier, and I was telling you about my conversation with the amazingly lovely Alice Wong, um, who, if your listeners don't know, they should just follow her on Twitter right now. Um, you you um, need to all follow SF Direwolf. Yes, a, you she just, is just a huge, oh, she's amazing. She's a huge amplifier um, for voices in the disability community and such a supportive and wonderful and smart and brilliant person. Um, and she and I were talking about, um, how there should be more disabled designers. And, you know, I think it's so interesting. So she immediately said, well, well, we have to get so crafty with everything that we do. Like we have to innovate every sort of interaction with everything. So 
we're sort of innately set up for that. And it's really true. So, you know, even before my diagnosis, there were all sorts of things that I was modifying and changing to make them work for me. And uh, the reality of that as well, though, is that, you know, in order for us to be able to have more disabled designers, there need to be more people like Andy who are willing to take on people who maybe don't have the the traditional resume to be able to do something like this and actually like hear them out and give them a voice um, and, and allow that to happen. So um, I think it takes both sides and I'm hoping that as we start making this, you know, these sort of concepts known and, and show the world that they're valuable and that, you know, there's definitely a place for this, that we can start to see a lot more um, of this sort of this sort of process because I just think that when we I, I talk to you know I've talked to other designers and there's this concept that I I talk about a lot which is that people design for the 90% and what that means is the majority of users now if you think about it the world population of people who live with disabilities is between 10 and 15% depending on who you ask Right. So it's no coincidence in my mind that those numbers relate to one another. You know, you've got the 90% of most users and then you've got the 10% that we don't factor in for the design. And we've got the 10% of people who live with disabilities. So if we do that with every product we make, we are excluding the same group of people over and over and over and over again. And if all you do is you just open that up and you say, you know what, I'm going to think about these extreme users and what their challenges are, what happens is you can solve a problem that the majority of users have as well. It's just, it's a little inconvenience for them versus a barrier to access for the 10%. So you can open the market up, make it bigger, and you can make something better. Like, isn't that the root of what innovation is supposed to be and about? And if you open and the market up, if you open the market up, you can also realize that the disabled, pe disabled people have spending power and buying power. And yes. They can change the way markets do things if you would just give them a fucking chance to do it, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Right? And then and it, that reminds me of the chopped veggie debate which <laughs> i have so like, many feelings <laughs> okay i right? had i ran a podcast like two years ago which i let go because it was too hard to run two of them even though i'm running two right now it was too hard to run two at that time so i did a podcast episode where i did a whole talking about chopped veggies and how great they were to have them like in a package already and how I love them and how I wanted peeled oranges pre-peel for me because yeah, I can't peel an orange. And oh my God, so I, I, I get it. I hear you. Well, so and what the, you know, what the abled folks would argue to your peeled orange request is that um, either you should have somebody help you because you should either be able to afford to hire an orange peeler or that you should just have someone who willingly wants to help you with everything all the time for free. Um, or what is the other, or, or you shouldn't eat oranges because you don't deserve them. So, so, so <laughs> the I, things that I, it's just wild to me. Like when you really think about it, I would see these answers like, well, they should have a helper 
or the the government should provide them a helper. So like or no, they vitamin, hire no vitamin C for you because you're disabled. Yeah. You're gonna like yeah. you're gonna get scurvy, uh, an 18th century disease because you're disabled <laughs> and therefore don't do like what? How ridiculous does that sound? <laughs> Well, Andrew, you know they wouldn't mind because then we'd be gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. We, we would no longer be a problem. <laughs> um, oh, we, man. We, we went off on like a bunch of tangents. I'm leaving it all in because it's all too good. Uh, but <laughs> Sorry, this is the least sexy dis after dark. This, this is maybe a, a morning after this is dis like, after yeah. well, I mean, breakfast. This is, you know, I'm thinking of actually changing the tagline of the podcast, actually, to... A disability and sexuality podcast, so we can have oh. episodes that are, you know, more about like this episode was was way more about health and and the body, which is a part of sexuality. So there was a yeah, and it was a super important topic, and I loved having you on, and I want to have you. I want to talk to you off the air about maybe you do a little sex toy things together because we should we should talk about that. Yes. Yeah, definitely, definitely, I would love to talk to you about that, because that's, Andy would, my my co-founder would just, like, he's so, I know he's just itching to um, get into that space and, and make some better things, and I think especially doing it now from this root of, like, disability advocacy and access, oh, he would love that so much, so have, yeah, let's definitely talk. Yeah, I have all, but I have so many ideas. But the audience does not want to hear us love each other for another hour. <laughs> so why don't you tell me how people can get a hold of Keela Cup, um, how they can get a hold of you, and how people can be in touch with you about this amazing, innovative product. Yay. Okay. So um, Keela Cups are currently available for pre-order through May on our website at keelacup.com. That's K-E-E-L-A. Cup.com, um, and I'm going to go ahead and add a $10 off code for your listeners if they should. Uh, what should the code be? We're making it up right now. Well, let's do. Um, let's do Kila Cup. No, it's got to be something fun. It's got to want it to be disability. Let's do um, Cup After Dark. Cup After Dark. That's it. So if you um, type in cup after dark, you will get $10 off of your pre-order. Amazing. And are these, are these international orders too, so that anybody in Canada? Oh, so this is the sad thing that I haven't told you. So Health Canada is really, really strict about how menstrual cups are classified. They're actually in the same category as a lot of surgical tools. Um, so we are not available in Canada just yet. We are, that's like top of our list for places to expand to next. Right now, cups are available for pre-order in the U.S. and also in the U.K. and Israel. And I've had a lot of Canadians very upset with me and emailing me like, why can I, why can I get one delivered to Slovakia but not to Canada? And that's the reason, because Canada really cares about your health and safety and they make it really expensive for me to sell my cup in your country. Okay, <laughs> so, so as soon as we can, we will. So any Canadians listening who are like, fuck, I really want this. And I can think of like three right now who are like, what? Um, so if you <laughs> if you want a Kila cup, American friends, let's talk about some deals to get them over there. To get some maybe to me directly or something. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. 
because um, <laughs> I want to support this in whatever way I can. But but for my American friends, you can type in Cup After Dark. Yeah, right? Cup After Dark. Yes, I like it. It's cute. your website, keelacup.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then amazing. Um, That's it. Easy peasy. Jane, it has been such a fun, weird, like off-tangent <laughs> conversation. And it... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think talking about talking so much about sex health and not so much about sex would be so much fun, but I had the best. This was so fun. I had so much fun, and I can tell that if you and I were hanging out together, we would just talk for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. So we will have to connect outside of your podcast. <laughs> so much. And, and I'm it, so excited to have a new friend. Right? Friendship is what this podcast is all about, everyone. It's making yeah. disabled friends talking about disabled sex. And sexuality and sex health now, yay! So, yep. so how on the Twitter because you just created one for this product. Who are you? Oh right? yes, mm-hmm. it's just at Kila Cup, and it's always me. It will never be Andy on Twitter. If you message us on Facebook or Instagram, if you have any questions for Andy, who is our medical device designer, um, those are good places to get to him. Although we talk all the time, so if you tweet me and I can pass the message along but if you ever want to just engage with me be my buddy sometimes i sometimes i do non-businessy things on twitter share funny things i'm trying to do that more even though it's a business twitter um so yeah that's probably the most kind of candid place to interact with me or call me out like i said open invite if you have any feedback for me um, or call ideas, in. or call her in, listeners. Don't maybe don't call her out. Call her in. gently. Call I like her that. Call me in. Cause you know I will lean into you. She's doing a thing <laughs> and she's trying to think. And sometimes when you when you do a thing, sometimes you fuck up. We've all been there. So call her oh, in. Yeah. Don't maybe don't maybe don't call her out right away. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe my friend first, and then gently gently nudge me in yeah, positive direction. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so. Anyone who's listening now is like, whoa, they've gone, they've been saying goodbye for like 20 minutes. But I know, we're um, those people. Jane, you're awesome. Thank you so much for being a part of Disability After Dark. Thank you for creating Thank Kila Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for creating Kila Cup, um, something that is so innovative and so new and, and, and so needed. Thank you so much. Um, and well, I want to talk to you very soon. Yeah, sounds good. All right. All right, thanks, We will Jane. let your listeners be done with us. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Right. We're amazing. Thanks, Jane. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. I love that this particular episode of the podcast wasn't really sexuality-based. It was more about sexual health, and I love that Jane is one of the voices, and, and young voices, too, bringing this kind of stuff to the fore and bringing stuff in this conversation about Ellers, Dan Loves, and about disability generally and sexual health to a place where it can be accessible to all of us. The goal of my work has always been to make things more accessible, and I never considered some of the challenges of being a, a person who experiences menstruation and, and having a disability at the same time. I have the different experience of never knowing what that will be like, and I'm glad that Jane could illuminate the need for a product like this. My hope is that our communities will look at products like the Kila Cup and try to find ways to make things more accessible using the the minds of disabled people. I like that Jane said that the Kila Cup was a disability design driven product. 
Uh, I think that's really important and really rare, and I'm so glad that she's using her voice and her innovation to bring this out into the world and doing her best to make it go uh, based on her own lived experience. We had such an amazing interview and such a fun time, and I loved all the tangents we went off, and I love that she, you know, was aware that the the product is disability-driven but could be beneficial to other bodies as well, and I think that's really, really, really important, and I'm proud to know that Jane is putting out things in the world that will, will that are aimed at making the disabled experience that much easier around sexual health and, and the body. So, Jane... Hartman Adame, thank you so much for doing what you do and for creating the Kila Cup. And remember that if you want to get your own and pre-order your own Kila Cup, you can head over to keelacup.com. And if you use the promo code CUPAFTERDARK in the U.S., you can get $10 off your order. So that's awesome. And uh, thanks, Jane, for setting that up. Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations, with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.